Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, the very first chapter. One of my favorite passages of scriptures is Psalms 1. And um, I have been, uh, for the last several weeks, I've been talking about a phrase that is found in the Bible, talks about blessed is the man. Blessed, of course, means happiness. In fact, you could interpret that as one that is exceedingly happy. Now, we live in a world today that people seems some are happy and some are not happy. But I think that it is a... a um, Ambition of every single person wants to be happy. People spend millions of dollars every year of trying to satisfy them and trying to help them to be happy. If I was going to ask you a personal question, are you happy today? It's a good question to ask. You say, well, happiness comes from happenstance. Well, it's not necessarily. Because if the happenstance are good, you're happy. And the happenstance are bad, you're unhappy. But if you really want to know where the source of your happiness is, and if it comes from the Lord, my friend, you can be happy in bad circumstances. And that's what the Bible is talking about. I was reading the other day of an article And in this article, it's given us ten rules how you can be happy. I, As I read them, I thought, man, this sounds pretty good. Number one, it says give something away with no strings attached. Be happy. Do an act of kindness for someone. Number three, spend a few moments with an aged person. I thought, that sounds very good. Number four, look intently into the face of a little baby and marvel of a miracle of God. Number five, laughed often because that is the lubricant of life's journey. Number six, Give thanks. A thousand times give thanks for what you have experienced and you have received. Number seven, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Number eight, work with vigor and and energy. Work. Number nine, Planned as though that you're going to live forever. Because you will somewhere. (laughs) And then number 10. Live as though that you're going to die tomorrow. Because you will someday. I thought, man, that's that's pretty good. Uh, Pretty good suggestions of how to be happy. But I have found something better than that. And that is the Word of God. 
And the Bible reminds us of how to be happy. The best rules is God's rules. And God has demonstrated here. And that is to live by the book. That your life is shaping and began to portray the character of God by the word of the living Lord. With your Bibles open, would you stand with me at Psalms 1? And we're going to read the first three verses of Scripture. There's that word, blessed is the man, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree. I like that. Planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. My what, what words for us to live by here today. If we want to be a man, a woman of happiness, my friend, live by the book. Live by the word of God. Father, thank you for your precious word. We're so grateful that you have given us this Bible and that we can hold fast to this Bible because through this Bible, it gives us faith It gives us that encouragement. It gives us that desire to be like you. Lord, guide our mind, our thoughts, and our hearts here today. May the Holy Spirit of God come down upon this place and speak through your messenger to your people. Oh, dear God... Allow nothing to interfere with hearing from you today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Someone said that these first six verses of Scripture that we have here in Psalms is the text And the other 150 Psalms is the sermon. I thought, man, that's pretty good. To think about what God has laid down here before us here today. That this is the epitome of all the Psalms that is found in the book of Psalms that we have in our Bible today. Herbert Locklear Locklear said these words. It strikes the keynote for the entire collection of Psalms. Absolutely. Now, I find it interesting interesting that as you begin to study this particular Psalm, that it begins to divide individuals into two groups. 
It divides them into the group of the godly, and then it divides them in the group of the ungodly. And you'll notice it by the first and the last words of this particular psalm. The godly. They are the ones that are blessed. Oh, I'm so grateful and thankful to know that as God has come into my heart, that he has blessed me 10,000 times 10,000, far more than I could ever imagine. But then it talks about those that perish. They're at the end of those six verse of the ungodly. And to know that to die without Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they're going to perish into an everlasting death. A death that will not, will, I mean, a death that will be eternal. Oh, as I began to look at this passage of Scripture, the Bible says that the godly has one direction of life and the ungodly has the other direction of life. Now, if you're a godly person, you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit lives within your heart today. My friend, the Bible reminds us that you are a godly person. You've taken upon a character of Christ. You've taken upon the character of God. Now, the Bible says you are a blessed man or a blessed woman, however you may want to receive it. But that you are blessed. And what he does here, he gives us instructions how to be a happy Godly person. Three things I want you to notice that he points out here in this passage of Scripture. First of all, as you go back into verse 1, he says that a blessed man, a happy man, is one that lives a guarded life. Listen to what the Bible says there in verse 1 once again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. A blessed man is one that guards his life. He protects his life. He realizes that he's not his own, but he's been bought with a price. He is an individual that is God who has placed ownership in his life. He is an individual that guards what he does, what he says, and where he goes. Now, I want you to notice the negative aspect of this as you begin to think about this. He talks about the progressive decline. There's three words that he describes the ungodly. Notice what he says. He talks about the ungodly. He talks about the sinners. And he talks about the scornful. Now, the ungodly is one that denotes the person who has no place for God whatsoever. We come in contact with people like that all the time. 
We go to school with them. We work with them. We live beside them. We, we associate with people that have no contact with God whatsoever. And they could care less. We call them lost people. They're ungodly because they do not have God. And then secondly, it talks about the sinners. A sinner is an individual that lives his life contrary to what the Word of God says. Contrary to the will of God. It's a part of his lifestyle. And he lives a life that satisfies self and self alone. And therefore, he does what comes natural, which is sin. He's a sinner. And then the Bible talks about the scornful. One that scoffs at the idea of God. One that scoffs at the word of God. The one that uh, looks at the Word and makes fun of the Bible and makes fun of God and makes fun of those that who live for God. We see those types of people all around us. But as you begin to notice them, that this downward spiral progression of decline in their life. You notice three words. The way that they walk. The way that they stand. And the way that they sit. Listen to what he says there in verse 1. Notice very carefully what it says. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The negative aspect of that, my friend, the one that walks, is the idea of a casual acquaintance of the ungodly. We come in contact with those people constantly. The word stands. We see them change taking place of a close association with sinners. And then, of course, the word sits means that they have taken up ways of activity of a sinner. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 said this, Be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I put it better than that. My dad used to say, Be careful with the company that you keep. That's exactly what Paul was speaking about there. To our young people, my friend, you need to be careful of the company you keep. Because if you don't, if, you're, if you are spending time with the wrong type of company, guess what will happen? You will end up doing the same thing that they're doing. And so this is what the psalmist is talking about. The word company means companionship. Companionship. Companionship with the ungodly, with the sinner, with the scornful. Charles E. Jones said these words, and I thought it was so, so good. You are the same today that you're going to be in five years from now, except for two things. The people with whom you associate and the, peop- and the books that you read. That's a good point. 
that the people that you associate with, my friend, will make you better or they'll make you worse. So you need to be careful what he's talking about. So there's that progressive decline. But then there is also that perpetual defense. Notice what he says there in verse 1 again. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I was reading an article just the other week about positive thinking. And people are saying that, that uh, you need to be more positive. The title of that article was Positive Thinking to the Key to Success, which is the key to success. As I read that article, I thought, well, it's not a bad article. But I find that if you really want to find success, it's not in an article, but it's in the Word of God. And so, you'll notice there in verse 1, you might want to underline that. Walks not, underline the word not, in counsel with the ungodly. Nor, underline that word nor, stands in the paths of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Three things that the blessed man will not do. The first part was the... Three things that a man will do if he is a sinner. But here, if he is a blessed, godly man, he is a man that will, first of all, will not walk in the counsel and then godly. The word counsel means take advice. He will not be the one that will take advice from the world. The world wants to give you the advice. But my friend, the best thing for you to do is not take their advice. I'm always leery when I hear people say, well, I'm under counseling. I always ask them the question, well, what kind of counseling are you under? Because, friend, if it's not godly counsel, you need to run from it. There's a lot of psychiatrists and a lot of psychologists that are out there, my friend, are just as lost as the day is long. And they're giving you advice upon what they think instead of upon what the Word of God says. My friend, if you want to seek advice, seek a Christian's advice that walks with the Lord. And so he says here that he does not walk in the counsel and the ungodly. Secondly, he does not stand in the way of sinners. In other words, blessed man does not hang around those that who sin. He's careful where he goes. He's careful of the people that he associates with. He's careful of who he listens to and who he talks to. And then thirdly, blessed is the man that does not sit in the seat of the scornful. The word sit means to dwell. It means to remain ungodly will eventually lead you to become exactly the way that they are. We have gangs in our area today. Now, in order to join that game, those gangs, you have to make a pledge that you're going to become one of them. Now, 
a godly person wouldn't even give that a second thought. But oh, how easy it is to begin to associate with a friend that the next thing you know, you are doing things that that person is doing that is not godly. And so he says to us, blesses a man who puts up a defense. He guards himself. He guards himself. But he not only guards himself, but secondly, look in verse 2, he is a man that who his life is guided. He lives a guided life. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 2. He says, but his delight is the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. Now think about that just for a moment. In verse 1, it tells us what not to do. In verse 2, tells us what to do. The law of the Lord is referring to the Scriptures. It's referring to the Word of God. The Bible is to be your guide. It's not to be a book that you pick up once a week and dust it off as you come to church. The Bible is to be your guide. It's not a book that you throw in your back seat and you're reminded to pick it up on the next Sunday. My friend, it is something that you're to take every single day and allow it to guide your life. I love what D.L. Moody said. I've quoted it and signed it in Bibles before. It says, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. And I think, man, that is so good. Psalms 91 verse 4 tells us, His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Oh, how precious is the Word of God. Do you love this book? I mean, do you really love this book? If you really love it, you're going to read it. And you're going to digest it. And you're going to allow it to become a part of you. 1896, the Glasgow University bestowed upon David Livingston one of the great honors of the Doctorate of Laws. Everybody had heard of David Livingston, of how he had sacrificed there in the jungles of Africa and almost died at that time. As he stood, there was a holy reverence among the students that not one single person spoke or moved. And then he stood and he said these words. Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among a people whose language I could not understand? and whose attitude toward me that was always uncertain and often hostile. He says, it's this. Lo, I am with you always 
unto the other ends of this earth. He said, that is what has sustained me. That is what has given me power to overcome my weakness and overcome my enemies. And the Word of God has never failed me. And I shall return back to those jungles again. Oh, my friend, I want you to understand. The Word of God will never fail you. It's everlasting. It is strong. It's powerful. And it is encouraging. But notice there... I want you to notice that a godly person looks at the Word. And there in this Word, he receives pleasure in that Word. He says there in verse 2, look at it. It says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. The word delight literally means pleasure. This blessed man does not see the Word of God as a rule book. As a book that that has been placed in his life to live a rigid life. This Bible is not a burden, but it's a blessing. This Bible, my friend, I want you to understand, is life-giving. And so, that's the reason that the psalmist said in Psalms 119 verse 54... Where he says, your statues have been my songs and in the house of my pilgrimage. And then he went on to say in Psalms 19 verse 10, when he was referring to the word, where he says, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Oh, what, how sweet this Bible is. So a man of God, a blessed man, a man that wants to be happy, he takes pleasure in the Word of God. But not only does he take pleasure in the Word of God, but he ponders upon the Word. Listen what he says there in verse 2 once again. In his law, what does he do? He meditates. Day... And night. Meditate. That word meditate is an interesting word because literally it means to murmur or to hum. I love it when I'm with my black brothers and sisters and when they're singing and when they're in the midst of their worship, they humming. What is that? They're meditating. Even our Jewish friends, if you would go to the Wailing Wall and you would listen to our Jewish friends as they're there at those at the Wailing Wall, they're murmuring and they're they're humming and you cannot understand it, but what they're doing, they're talking to themselves. They're meditating over and over and over. It's sort of like a cow when he chews his cud. He takes that and he chews it slowly over and over and over and over and over again. And then 
He swallows it. <laughs> and for a better word, he resurrects it a little while later. <laughs> and he, what does he do? He chews it again. Over and over and over and over again. What he is doing, he's taking pleasure in the food that he's received. You know what we Christians are so guilty of? We're called, we are known as fast food Christians. We'll take the Word of God and read some scriptures and jump up and take off. Or I know some people today that uh, they take great pride that they've read through the Bible. Well, I certainly will recognize your accomplishment. But what did you read when you got... Do you, can you explain to me what you've read after you finished it? I like what D.L. Moody said one time. He made a confession. D.L. Moody said, at one time I read so many chapters in the Bible a day that if I did not get through my usual quantity, I thought I was cold and backsliding. But mind you, if a man had asked me two hours after as to what I had read, I could not tell him. I had forgotten it all. It's better, my friend, to take a few verses of Scripture and like a cow chewing the cud over and over and over and over. Meditating. Meditating. Henry J. Weston said something I thought was very interesting. He says, there is nothing in the Bible that benefits you unless it is transmuted into life. Unless it becomes a part of yourself, just like your food. Unless you assimilate it and it becomes body, bone, and muscle, it does you no good. Isn't that true? That unless the Word of God literally becomes a part of you, mind, body, and spirit, it does you no good. And so, oh, look, he is a man that not only guarded his life, not a man that not only guides his life, but he's a man that allows the Word of God to gladden his life. Look what the Bible says in verse 3. He shall be like a tree. Mm. You might want to circle that word tree. Because he says, he shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water. That breathes forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. A blessed man, I remind you, is an extremely happy man. He's one that who's allowed the word of God to guard his life. He is one that who's allowed 
the Word of God to guide his life. And because he's been guarded and because he's been guided, he is gladdened by the Word of God. He says that you'd be like a planted tree. A planted tree. There's stability in a tree that has been planted. His roots has grown deep into the soil. There's stability. Let the storm come. Let the winds blow. But that old big old oak tree stands tall and firm and it does not bow. Let the adversities of life come to a godly man. Let the adversities of life come to a man that has allowed the word of God to guide him, to guard him. And he will be one that will stand like a tree. As I said earlier, we say happiness comes from happenstance. But I honestly believe real, true happiness comes from the river of God. Now think about a tree that is planted by the river of water. That those roots have gone deep into the soil and now it's connected to the river of Almighty God. Where does your happiness come from? Where's the source of your happiness? It comes from Almighty God. The grace, the peace that passes all understanding. The source of your happiness, my friend, is God and God alone. And my friend, that's where only where true happiness will come from. But he says it not only be a planted tree but it'd be a prosperous tree. He says it shall bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth shall prosper. Prosperity describes the spiritual productivity in the life of a godly man. That that godly man has prospered. He has become a fruitful individual. He is what is known as the Bible in the New Testament talks. Man that is filled with the Spirit who has the fruit of the Spirit. And he demonstrates that fruit in such a way. But see, it's not only a blessing to him, but he becomes a blessing to others. As I think about a tree, and I think, think about the fruit that is upon that tree, all oh, the blessing that that tree is because of its fruit. But oh, when I take that delicious apple, and I bite into that apple, and that apple begins to be squeezed in my mouth, and oh, how, how, Wonderful the taste that our apple is. It's now become a blessing to me. A really happy person is one that overflows. Can you think of somebody that every time you're around them, they always seem to be happy? 
I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be the type of person that people dread to be around. I don't want to be the type of person that people say, well, I was happy until I got around him. I want to make people happy. And to make people happy, my friend, in the Lord is for the Lord's fruit to be able to be shared in my life. People today say that if you need to be happy, there's three things. You need to be rich, you need to be famous, and and you need to uh, be powerful. I thought, hmm. I remember reading about Elvis Presley. And in that article of Elvis Presley, they asked him, are you happy? Elvis Presley, no doubt, was rich. Probably had far more money than we would ever even think about having. He's certainly famous. In fact, they say that you still can see him now and then in Denny's, wherever. (laughs) But you know what he said? I'm the loneliest and the most unhappiest person in the world. Six weeks before he died. I'm the loneliest and the most unhappiest person in the world. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to have the talent and the ability that that man had to die so unhappy. But what about you? What about you? Are you happy? Can you truthfully say, I'm happy because my life has been guarded by the Word of God? I can truthfully say in my heart, I am happy because I have been guided throughout all these years by the Word of God. I'm happy. Because I'm a tree planted by the rivers of water that will never run dry and will always replenish and meet every need that I will ever have. Many a person have died for this book. Martyr's death. They believed it to the point that they were willing to die for it. God's not asking you to die for it. He's asking you to live for it. I encourage you to do that today. Bow with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us for the wonderful words that is found in these pages. Thank you, dear Lord, for Allowing the Word of God to guide us and to guard us and to bring happiness. Lord, 
one of the first words I remember coming to know you was the words found in the book of Romans, found in also in the book of John, that whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I thank you for those words because, Lord, through those words, it guided me straight to the cross and allowed me to come to know you in a personal way. That as I confessed that I was a sinner and believed in my heart, that God had raised you from the dead, that I received salvation. There's some here today that possibly needs to do that. But I'm reminded also as I have grown in your word, the words that David Livingston said, Lo, I'm with you always. Thank you for that. Lord, I challenge my people today to become students of your word. Not hearers, but doers. So, Lord, speak in a way that only you can at this appointed moment. There may be someone here today that needs to unite with our church. Lord, give them that freedom to come and that they might join the fellowship of this church. In your name we pray. Amen.